Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hermeneutics 101 podcast. It is Monday, March the 4th, 2019, and I am recording this at 8.16 a.m. Central Time. Well, you and I have been given an amazing gift today. You woke up. And I woke up and we should have immediately realized we have been given one of the greatest gifts that we could ever be given. And that is another day of life. We woke up this morning looking at the beginning of a brand new week. And the reason we can see the beginning of this new week is because, yes, we have the gift of life for another day. And we don't know how long we're going to have this gift of life. We don't know if we're going to have it for another year, another 10 years, another six months, or another 72 hours. We have no idea. But each day we wake up, each day our eyes open, we should realize, yes, yes, thank you, Lord, for giving me another day of life, for not taking this thing called life away from me. You're allowing my heart to beat, my mind to be aware. Thank you so very much. We should be grateful for it. The reality is we take it for granted. The reality is we take this wonderful thing called life and we waste it. And as a Christian, we know that what we're supposed to be using this wonderful gift for is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That we are supposed to be taking this gift that God has given us to do the work of ministry that we go to church to be equipped to do. We should be looking for people to share the gospel with. We should be looking for people to serve. We should be looking for people to help. We should be looking for ways to further the kingdom of God. We should be concerned about living a life that is truly bringing God glory, truly enjoying him, not wasting this wonderful thing called life. I have wasted it. You have found yourself wasting it. We're all guilty of it, but guess what? We can't change what happened last week, but we have a new week in front of us. And here's the reality of the situation. This week is going to be filled with challenges. It's going to be filled with frustrations. It's going to have its ups. It's going to have its downs. In fact, the most important thing about this week is you have no idea what is coming. But I can guarantee you this, that as you step in to this new week, everything around you in the world in which we live as Christians, right? We, li- we live in a fallen world. Everything around you is going to distract you from the things of God. Everything around you is going to be saying, hey, no, 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 no. Look over here. Look over here. Don't pay attention to scripture. Don't pay attention to the kingdom of God. Don't pay attention. Don't set you, don't, don't place your affections on things above. Look right here. Look around you. Be preoccupied. Be consumed. Be, be obsessed with everything around you. Forget the scriptures. You don't need it. Don't spend time meditating on God's word. Don't spend time eating uh, from the scriptures. No, focus on something else. In fact, instead of um, man does not live by bread alone, uh, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, the world comes along and says, no, 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 no. What you really need to eat is, well, all that we have to offer you. All All of the junk food of the world. And we find ourselves allowing ourselves to become distracted. 
It's so easy to do. So as we begin this new week, I just want to offer a challenge. Let's not waste the gift that we have been given. Let's spend time thinking about the things of God, looking at what's happening in our world, but from a biblical and theological perspective. Let's do just that. Now, this is what I would like to challenge you on, uh, or not really a challenge, just to at least inform you. I'm going to do everything that I can this week, like I do every week, to ensure that the uh, VBC app is keeping you informed about what's happening in your world, giving you things to think about, giving you plenty of content to feed you spiritually. So I would challenge you, get the VBC app. It's absolutely free. Go to the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store. Look for VBC 66, VBC 66. VBC stands for Victory Baptist Church, VBC in the number 66. There's lots of content on there that you should look at. I spent a lot of time last week looking at the whole situation with the Methodist Church. Um, there are all kinds of uh, different content posted about that situation. Uh, please find that content, listen to it. You're going to hear some slightly different perspectives on what happened. You're going to get some history, so definitely listen to that. Um, also, I've been posting the classic sermon series by Chuck Swindoll called Grace Awakening. The reason I have been posting that is because that series really found itself in kind of the middle of that whole lordship controversy, going back to MacArthur's books. Um, that this, The Grace Awakening series, in some ways, was kind of placed in contrast to what MacArthur was saying. Um, it's a classic series. It had a major impact on the church at the time. So I've been posting that uh, series as well. A lot of things going on in the church history section. Uh, just, just so much. And there's a lot of news going on right now that we need to talk about. Um, and I'll try to do what I can by posting some news and focus commentaries and uh, some other things. There's just always so much happening. Um, you know, you wish you had a team of like five people um, working on uh, all the different things going on. But We'll, we'll see if, if that day ever comes. But the bottom line is the app will be there um, waiting for you to give you all the content. But this is the Hermeneutics 101 podcast. So what do I want to do today? I want to do this. I want to establish a very important principle. All right. Now, I don't think this should be controversial. It may offend some people, um, but I'm going to say it anyway. All right, this is very important. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. You don't learn hermeneutics. You do hermeneutics. You don't learn to study the Bible. You study the Bible. I think there is a, there, there's, there's a couple of way, ways this plays out in the church, all right? On one hand, you have people who never really, they don't really know how to study the Bible. They don't know how to do hermeneutics. They don't know how to really do either. They, if they tell you how they interpret, if they tell you how they study, it's not truly a study method and it's not truly hermeneutics. Um, so they just, they're, they're kind of like the, the uh, blissfully ignorant people, all right? So you've got the blissfully ignorant people. Then you got the people who like to learn lots of concepts and ideas. Oh, they can they can throw out some of the terminology. They'll throw out a little terminology about hermeneutics. They'll throw out a little uh, terminology about biblical interpretation. They can throw out uh, some different methods of Bible study. But if you really look at their life, they don't spend very much time in any engaged in any meaningful Bible study on a regular and consistent basis. They know how to talk the talk, 
but they're not doing it. And if you're not doing hermeneutics, then you haven't learned hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is not something you learn. It's something you have to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Bible study is not something you learn how to study. No, you have to do it. You have to do it. The principles are of no true value if they're not being utilized on a daily basis. That is a concept I want to so much emphasize. That's why some of the recordings lately have been like, hey, look this up. Hey, do this. Check this out. Giving you the, the work to do. Not for me simply to give you the hermeneutical answer, but to give you the hermeneutical challenge. To give you something to work on. And I just want to really challenge you on that. How much time do you really spend studying the Bible? Meaningful, real study. And in that study, and, and please note, I know some of you may be saying, why, why do you draw a distinction between Bible study and hermeneutics? Okay, let me explain. Bible study is observation. I've already done a recording on this. Bible study is really more about observation, using a method of Bible study so that you can observe the contents of the scripture which you are looking at, breaking it down, cross-referencing it, checking this, looking for key people, key words, uh, all the, outlining, all the different things uh, that you can do in different Bible study methods. Bible study methods are tools for observation primarily. After you've done the observation, then you move to hermeneutics, which is interpretation. You can't interpret what you haven't, you cannot uh, interpret what you have not observed, and you cannot observe anything until you've done true Bible study. Reading is not Bible study. Okay, Re reading is a part of Bible study. Bible study is where you're breaking the text down. You, you're making clear observations of what the text actually says. You're not trying to interpret it in any way, shape, or form. You're simply trying to observe what's there. Once you have that observation, once your observation is clear, once your, once your observation is complete, once your observation is in-depth, okay, then and only then can you move to interpretation. You have to have observation before interpretation and the quality of your interpretation will be dependent upon the quality of your observation. I know I sound like a broken record, but if you care about hermeneutics, then you won't care that I'm repeating this concept. Now, when I started this podcast, I had no idea that a classic devotional was going to kind of rise to the forefront of my thinking. I've already done some recordings on it, so I'm not going to go into too much detail, but on our church app at the bottom, there's a thing called Family Radio. And Family Radio, during the, during the morning, during the afternoon, and during the evening, they make a reference to a classic devotional called Daily Light on the Daily Path. Daily Light on the Daily Path. In fact, about 45 minutes ago, I think I heard them do the Daily Light on the Daily Path for this morning, March the 4th, 2019. Now, here's some history. This devotional was um, published uh, somewhere around 1875. 1875, and it has continued to be published nonstop since 1875. Over and over and over, it is published. There are different editions. There are different uh, um Different people take it, especially after, I don't think, I think the copyright expired and, and it's basically in public domain now. Uh, different people have taken the devotional. They've added like an, their own forward to it and then they've re, reissued it, republished it, resold it. Um, the devotional is everywhere. And I had no idea of its um, 
its popularity. I had no idea of its popularity. Again, the name of the devotional is Daily Light on the Daily Path. Now, it's interesting the way this devotional came about. Um, again, it was, it was published in 1875 by Baxter & Sons. Um, it has been reprinted continually since then. It consists of a groupings of scripture. Uh, okay, it's, it consists of brief groupings of scripture passages which speak to prominent biblical themes. Right? It is broken down into morning and evening for each day of the year, and it appends, it adds no commentary, but simply allows Scripture to speak for itself. So if you turn to the morning section of that devotional, say for today, you're just going to see Scripture. In fact, the way it's written, uh, if you look at the printed version, uh, the way it's written is you just look at it and it's just scripture. There's no references. It's just scripture, right? And it's just one verse taken out of context, connected to another verse taken out of context, and you just read it all together. And then at the very bottom, it gives you where all that scripture came from. There is no commentary. There is none at all. And this leads many people to love this devotional, saying, say, look at this. I get this devotional, and I like this devotional because it doesn't have anyone's opinion. It just has scripture. And as soon as I hear that, someone in my church pointed this out yesterday. Um, no, it does have an opinion. And, there, and first, it has the opinion of the author because the author took these scriptures out of context put them together because he believed all these scriptures were related to some kind of a common theme. That's his opinion. The only way to know if those scriptures truly are related is you'd have to go back and look at each scripture in its original context and go, what was it trying to say there? And is it connected to the, the next verse that he linked it to? So it already has that opinion forced upon it. Someone took scriptures, took them out of their context, put them together, and what they believe was a common theme. But it also has the opinion of the reader. Because every person who grabs that devotional and reads those scriptures, their opinion is going to be placed upon the text. And they're going to say, this is what these verses mean. This is what these verses are telling me. Whenever the Bible is open, you cannot escape opinion because everyone reads it and gives it their opinion, gives it their interpretation. Now, their opinion may be proven to be accurate based off a clear study and exegetical study and doing hermeneutics and doing Bible study, or it may prove to be absolutely wrong. But if the scriptures are given an opinion, in this particular case, by the author who grouped them together. That's his opinion that they uh, should be put together. And secondly, by every person who reads it. And I want you to realize that. When you read the scriptures, you are placing your opinion upon them, even if you don't realize it. Because when you walk away, if I walk up to you and go, what scriptures did you read today? Okay, what did they mean? You're going to start trying to explain them to me. Now, you may be right, you may be wrong, but your opinion is still being, is coming upon those verses in some way, shape, or form. So, I think this devotional is, in a sense, it gives people the, the impression, oh, I'm just getting scripture, no one's opinion. Yeah, you're getting your opinion, what you're going to get, and... You're still getting the opinion of the author who grabbed all of these scriptures and put them together in what he believed was a common theme. It's his belief. So that's the way it is designed. Now, if you want to know something about the scripture um, or about this devotional, Jonathan Baxter, he was the son of Samuel Baxter, who I believe was a Baptist minister. Jonathan Baxter, he decided to create the devotional 
for his own family. And that his family needed some devotional material, so he wrote his own. Now, I got nothing but respect for that. That's awesome. Here's a, here's a man who's like, you know what? I have a responsibility, a spiritual responsibility for my family. I have a spiritual responsibility to lead them. I have a spiritual respons responsibility to guide them. I have a spiritual responsibility to teach them. So I'm going to write a devotional for my family. So he wrote the devotional. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, years later, his son... Okay, so Jonathan, he's the son of Samuel Baxter. He creates this devotional for his own family. And then years later, his own son, whose name is Robert, he published the devotional with assistance from his daughter, Anne. So Jonathan writes it for his family. His son, Robert, grows up. He's like, hey, this is, you know, this is awesome. Him and his daughter, Anne, they work together to publish the devotional. So it's a family thing. The family obviously clearly loved it, clearly appreciated it, and then shared it with the rest of the world, and the rest is history. Since then, it's been published over and over and over and over again. But again, there are some issues here that I have with this devotional. The issues I have is it, it gives you the impression I'm just getting scripture. I'm not getting anyone's opinion, but you are. You're getting someone's opinion. You're getting the opinion of the author, or the original author, who said, hey, these scriptures all fit together. And you have to realize your opinion is being placed on them when you read them. So I think this is a very important thing to know. Now, why am I mentioning this devotional for the 19,000th time? Here's the reason why. I believe this devotional provides us a tool in which we can do hermeneutics, not simply learn about hermeneutics. Because these devotionals give you a list of scriptures ripped out of context, placed together for what they believe is a common theme. Now, first, for each scripture, you have to try to figure out the original content. The original context, the original intent, I should say. The original intent and the original context. All right, you've got to figure out what, what, what was this verse supposedly saying when it was originally written and what, what, what's the context around it so that I know, okay, how should I really understand this verse? And then when it's linked to another verse, I can ask myself, okay, do these two, are these two really have anything in common? Should they be linked together? Are they saying anything similar in any way, shape, or form? All right? Um, I, I think, I think, and, I, and there's a lot of other things you, you should ask yourself, but the point is immediately when you see this list of scripture and you start reading them, you, you see that they're, it's just perfect. Like you couldn't have a better thing to use for a hermeneutical challenge. The problem is most people who use the devotional don't do the hermeneutical challenge. They just read it and go, Ooh, that was awesome. God said this to me today. And you're like, Whoa, where did you get that from? So. I'm going to give us the list of scriptures for today, March the 4th, a.m., for the morning time. Are you ready? Here is from the devotional, all right? And I'll make sure we get this, make sure everyone knows what we're doing. We're going to look at the scriptures listed in the devotional, Daily Light on the Daily Path, for Monday, March the 4th, morning time. 
Now you can obtain this devotional free. All it's all it's, it's this devotional is free online. Uh, you can uh, get uh, Kindle versions. Uh, you can go to the Google Books and you get a free version there. There's there's all kinds of versions out there. There's all kinds of editions. Um, but get one, get one, and uh, you can use it for your own hermeneutical exercise, your own hermeneutical work. Um, I've been, I, I, I like doing the work, so the devotional works for me. If you're not going to do the work, then the devotional, in many cases, in my opinion, is useless. Right? It's just random scripture thrown together, giving you the idea that you're doing some kind of meaningful Bible study, but you're not. You're reading random scriptures linked together and could be linked together, giving you a false impression that these are all saying something similar when in reality they may not be. I can give you some good examples of, of from yesterday's uh, devotional, Daily Light on the Daily Path. I can give you some examples yesterday where that occurred. But here we go. March 4th morning. First passage of scripture, Colossians chapter 3 verse 2. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on... Let me read this again. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Colossians 3, 2. Second, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2.15 So the first one is Colossians 3.2 Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. That's Colossians 3.2 Second, 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, start, stop right there in 1 John 2.15. I can already start asking all kinds of interpretation questions right there. Um, I, I mean, that, that verse is ripe with, with some issues to try to work through, all right? Uh, number three, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will be, there will your heart be also. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Let me read this again. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Next, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, immediately, that one seems out of place, doesn't it? We've got set your affections on things above. We've got love not the world. And we've got lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. Because where your, tre uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, I can see a possible connection between the first three. All right. Now I've got to go back and find the context of Colossians 3. I've got to work on 1 John because 1 John offers a major soteriological issue in regards to salvation. Because can I look at anyone and say, hey, you love the world, so the love of the Father is not in him. 
All right, that seems to be making a very dogmatic statement. Some in church history has used that as a test to test someone's salvation. Well, there's a lot of Christians who, who may, they may not claim they love the world, but clearly they love the world. Look at what they spend their time on. Look what they spend their money on. Look what their passions are. They seem to be worldly. They don't seem to be scripture, right? So does that mean they're not saved? How do we, how do we interpret that? All right, um, Matthew chapter 6, okay, lay not, not for your treasures upon earth. That definitely connects with loving not the world. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. That's, I mean, that talks about where you're setting your affections. I can see a link between those three. We got to work on them. We got to make sure we don't, that we're correct. But then the fourth one seems way out of place. We walk by faith, not by sight. All right, wait a minute. First, I got to figure out what, what Paul is saying to the church of Corinth there. He's telling them we walk by faith and not by sight. I got to figure out how that's applicable, what he was why he was stating that in the context of the Corinthian church. I have to figure that out. Then, once I figure that out, how does it connect to the previous? I don't know. That's, that's the challenge. Next verse, again from 2 Corinthians. This one is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 18. We faint not. But though our outward man, man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 18. Let me read that again. We faint not. But th but though but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, I can kind of connect 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 to those first three because it's telling us to look at things differently. That, that, that if bad things happen to us, it's working something greater, something of glory, something... In other words, we need to have a, a, a focus towards the things of God. We need to have an eternal, heavenly, spiritual perspective, not a fleshly perspective, which then could be connected to we walk by faith and not by sight. We have to walk by faith to say, hey, all these horrible things that are happening to me, even though my outward, uh, out, even though my outward man perish, hey, my inward man is being renewed. This affliction, which is but for a moment, it's working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I may be going through affliction, but by faith, I understand that it's working something greater than what I can see. All right. Okay. I can, I can connect that definitely to, um, second Corinthians five, seven. Okay. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting kind of the, what the author intended here. And then he ends with this first Peter 1 14. An inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Oh, I have an inheritance, but it's in heaven, reserved for me. And how does he describe it? Incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away. Okay, what is that inheritance? What is that inheritance that's promised in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4? That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. If I did not give you the reference, I start getting excited. An inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. 1 Peter 1, 4. What is that inheritance? 
Now, that clearly connects by I'm walking by faith and not by sight. Walking by faith, I'm looking towards that, that inheritance. That's what I'm looking for, right? I have this uh, heavenly perspective. I have this perspective where I'm not loving the world. I'm setting my affections of things above, that my treasures are in heaven. And, and that's where my heart is also. If my treasure is heaven, my heart is there. But if my treasure is here on earth, then that's where my heart is. I can see what the author intended in all of these. I can. Now, here's what I would challenge you to do. Work the theme. Go through those verses and go ahead and develop the theme. But then this is what you need to do. You're going to have to go back and look at the context for all of these scriptures and say, wait a minute, what are they saying? So let me, I'm just give you an example. All right? That first one is Colossians chapter 3. All right, opening a Bible here. Colossians chapter 3. Now please note, it starts in Colossians 3. Two. All right. Colossians chapter three, verse two. Now that set your affections is, is an important uh, is an important verse. Don't get me wrong. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. The devotional uses it almost like a command. Hey, set your affections on things above. And it is a command, but if you go back and place it in its context, we find some interesting things. Verse one. If ye, the, if ye then be risen with Christ. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, now I'm getting some context. It starts off with, if I've been risen with Christ, if I've experienced a spiritual resurrection, right? Then seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. If I have been made alive in God, if I have been made alive in Christ, if I have been risen, if you have then been risen with Christ, that's the key. If I've been risen with Christ, the motivation for setting my affections on things above is because I have been risen with Christ. And if I have, then I seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. I set my my focus is on Christ, who's at the right hand of the Father. I set my affections there. I'm looking towards Christ, the one who died for me, the one who, who, uh, was, who died, buried, and rose again for me, who came to this earth in the incarnation to live a life, to save me, to keep the law because I could not keep the law, and save me because I, I did not keep the law. I set my affections on things which are, um, which are above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now there's this con contrast between I've been risen with Christ, but I'm dead. And my life is hid with Christ in God. I have been risen to spiritual life, but in another way, I have died. Died to self. Died to the world. All of those concepts are critical in establishing this command in Colossians 3, 2. In fact, going back and getting that context really gives me a better picture of what's happening here. Then we go on, and I'm not going to do it for you. 1 John 2.15. We got some questions to answer there. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Probably the two, probably the one ver the two verses that we have the most hermeneutical issues with is 2 Corinthians 5:7. We walk by faith. Okay, what what why was he telling the Corinthians to walk by faith and not by sight? What was the issue there? We need to answer that. And then, what is this 
inheritance that's waiting for that's uh, that's reserved for me in heaven. What is that inheritance? What is it? Those are just some basic questions. But again, I give you these scriptures. I give you this devotional because I think it serves as a hermeneutical exercise book. I've got to work through this now. I, that theme is right there. It's kind of how I started this whole recording. We've got a lot. We've got a life before us. God has given us another day of life, another wonderful gift. Now we need to work on setting our affections on things above, not loving the things in this world, placing my treasure in heaven, not focused on a earthly treasure, making sure my heart is in heaven and not here. I need to realize I do supposedly have this inheritance that's reserved for me in heaven. What is it? Do I truly love and desire that inheritance more than I desire the things in this world? There's a lot of things to be convicted about in a practical way, but there's a lot of things to work through hermeneutically. And I'll end with this principle. Doing hermeneutics, doing Bible study is not there to simply gain knowledge. It's there to give us an encounter with God's revelation in written form. He has given us his inspired word in written form. When I come in contact with it, yes, I learn, I use uh, hermeneutical principles to interpret it. Yes, I use Bible study skills to observe it. But the observation and the interpretation is to lead to an application, to a conviction, to a change, to something actually happening. I don't just walk away smarter. I walk away hopefully transformed broken, convicted. I see God for who he is, which allows me to see who I really am. It's a living encounter with the living word. The word of God is alive. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. If I simply learn all these principles and I can observe and I can interpret, but I don't do anything with it, I become arrogant, full of myself, conceited, prideful, and I end up in a more I end up doing more spiritual damage to myself than I do spiritual good. We just got a lot of scriptures this morning. Now you can walk away going, okay, well, he didn't really interpret that. No, you should be now, I got to go figure those scriptures out. In the sermon and Bible study notes section of the app, in the sermon and Bible study notes section of the app, I will post that devotional with those scriptures listed. So if you need to find them, go to the VBC 66 app, go to the Sermon Bible Study Notes section. All those scripture references will be there for you. All right, I'll stop. Just a, not a definitive, uh, I don't know, just a podcast with a lot of thoughts in it today. Just a lot of things I want to just challenge you and just kind of keep making us have, I I guess my goal here is to give us a right perspective on hermeneutics and at the same time realize there's this tool that was published in 1875 that we can use as a hermeneutical exercise workbook. I don't think that was his intention when he gave it for the family, but we can use it that way. So let's do it. Let's use it. Let's use it as a, we need, we need to do hermeneutics, not simply know them and just remember doing hermeneutics includes that application part as well. We'll talk about application coming up. All right, there you have it. I've given you the word of God. I've given you things to look up. Go look them up. Go work on them. If you don't, then well, then you're not doing hermeneutics, are you? You're not even learning them. So if you do work on these passages of scripture today, uh, let me know your thoughts. Give me your feedback. I want to know what you see. I want to know what interpretation you came up with. Because guess what? 
sometimes your interpretation will make me go, wait, I didn't even consider that verse from that perspective. Wait, that's interesting. Oh, wait, you saw, I didn't even look at that context. That's good. So do your work and let me know what you think. All right, I'll stop there. I've already recorded for 35 minutes. I could go, uh, I had a rush there at the end. I apologize, but there's a lot in those scriptures we could work on and I'm going to be meditating on them a lot today because <laughs> that 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, that's the one that convicted me. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, because man, I don't tend to see the light affliction as a good thing. I see the light affliction and I whine like a little baby. But I'm sure you don't do that ever, right? I'm sure you never complain. So you can you can write me and tell me your secret, right? But in the meantime, I'm going to go confess uh, that I don't have that kind of heavenly perspective. I see the light affliction as something I want out of, not something I'm grateful for, right? There's my confession. So... Yeah, I need to go deal with God. So, all right, I'm going to go repent. And uh, hopefully you found something in there that will cause you to repent as well. All right, have a great day. Study God's word.